We are back with Superstructure. Hello, everybody. We have a new segment that will probably be recurring. Our uh, friend and guest in the last episode, uh, Molto Populare on Twitter, who all of you should follow, is uh, going to be leading a new recurring segment as our Australian Twitter correspondent called the Molto Minute to go over some news items that happened in the last few days. Hi, Molto Populare here, reporting from Melbourne, Victoria, Australia. I'm somewhat of a flagship state for institutional Catholicism, historically famous for virulent anti-communism and, more recently, the mass facilitation and cover-up of child sexual assault. In latest news from the culture wars, degenerate queer academic Sophie Lewis has been met with outrage over claims that a man fucked an octopus. On Twitter, Catholic convert Washington Post journalist Liz Brudig quoted Sophie's tweet describing the man and female octopus's relationship as erotic, denouncing it as the downfall of civilization. Many other respected left-wing journos chimed in with, next you'll be telling us to fuck our dogs. Sadly, in response, Liz and her family dog were dragged into the crossfire, with golden retrievers being broadly condemned as instruments of white supremacy, creepy and cancelled. Sophie Lewis's only response? That's not what erotic means. Now, we'll be speaking to innocent journalist Liz Bruning on why, despite a published record of homophobia, her response to Sophie was not right-wing moral panic hysteria and, in fact, normal. Hi, Liz. Hi, I would like to call in. and This is Elizabeth, Liz, Liz Brunig. It was interesting, certainly, to be accused and cancelled of moral panic when I was accused of being a racist due to my choice of dog. Little do most seem to know on the Christian left that there is a long tradition of canonization of dogs. There was the great dog of the 13th century, the Saint Golden Blanc of Wales, who was indeed a, a celibate gay dog. Matthew! Liz, I'm, uh, I'm trying... No, it's, it's, I'm... it's fine, but... No, no, it's fine, but honey, I'm just... I'm trying to call the radio about... Uh-huh. I'm trying to post from the think tank. Did Consuela change the Wi-Fi password? Or, no, honey, do you remember what I told you? Uh, no, you tell... You, you, you remember, right? No, you remember You remember what I told you. <laughs> you remember. I, I, what did I tell you? I need to respond to Pavlina. I don't even know how to say her name. Oh, that Eastern Orthodox woman who wants to do work fair? That woman? Yes. No, I mean, she's lovely. Seems lovely. Do you remember what I said about the system we're going to be doing? It's a family, a new family system. Something, something with, do, do you remember what I said about it? Like checking the refrigerator when you have questions? I, 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 don't, I don't remember. We, you make a lot of systems for the Exactly. Family. That's our entire career project together. If you had, I you mean, know, it's pretty inefficient. I've family been noticing fun pack. a lot of, uh. Howdy, I'm on a call. You're I, still doing that radio thing? Oh, we, lo- they were accusing me of being a racist, having a racist dog. Wait, dogs can't be racist. And being a homophobe. And I'm just saying, no, you know, dogs. They think you have a racist dog. It's not racist just because the the Saint Golden Blanc was used in the colonization. A saint is a saint, you know, no matter the color. Augustine was black. The, the, the tradition of retrieval, golden retrieval, is uh, an ancient theological motive. Mommy, exactly. I'm hungry. Sounds like some Eastern MMT stuff. Th- that's the left. You know, a lot of these Eastern types. But honey, I'm Matthew Orb. Orb was going to yeah. ask you the same thing I was going to uh-huh. ask yeah. you also, which is you said like a half hour ago that you were going to microwave some Lunchables. For, for the me. listeners at home in Australia, this is a really a nice window into the family life. This is sort of the unit, you know, you get your family fun pack. Sometimes you don't get along. Faith, family, and football, Liz. But mostly we do, as you can see. Three this is not, you know, it's the same way people, honey, can you go now? 
the left today doesn't see that there's different types of intimacy. There's, you know, agapes when you, you feel love without the genitals, for example. Certainly not racist. I don't, you know, I didn't fuck the dog, you know, like some people. <laughs> it's what passes for normal these days. <laughs> Sorry, what was your question, honey? Yeah, shallow words bring nothing new. Shallow words bring nothing So uh, bears repeating because this podcast is called Superstructure and it's inflationary and, and redundant. Uh, I am Will. I have my co-host Max and Natty here. And listeners, uh, especially who listened to episode 10, where Max talked for two and a half hours about philosophy and my, my mommy issues as well. Um, His mommy issues. People might not have guessed from that that he's actually a grad student uh, and, and that he's getting, which I know, disgusting. Um, Disease. <laughs> since this podcast is primarily a grift and we're grifters, uh, I, want, I want to use this as an opportunity to promote something that our very own Maximilian Seho published for the Journal of Environmental Media. It is called Governing Media Information Through a Green New Deal, History, Theory, Practice. I mean, this, this paper, obviously, um, from the title, touches on a lot of the themes of this podcast. We are trying to bring an left MMT analysis to areas uh, which are analogical to what MMT says about money, extending those things to media and all matter of superstructure that um, our kind of terrible uh, modern metaphysics treats like a finite object somewhere in the material base rather than acts of boundless creation and mediation. And so this this paper is going to be more Max straight in your veins. That's disgusting. <laughs> Max, do you want to do you want to talk a little bit about what you were trying to get across here? Sure. So I think it. You know, we've been having a lot of fun uh, on this podcast, especially the last few times. But it. <laughs> I love it. it. <laughs> 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 and so apropos of said fun yeah. um it's it's sort of funny to remember that like i don't know i'm just speaking of myself that like like i have a real job i don't know is it a job I, am, am i a worker these are all important questions that grad, I've had grad students. Guess. yeah they're they're, yeah. they're not workers grad students are super no no i heard that yeah um yeah like this this paper is kind of funny because it's a little bit tangential to like my primary um research interests which if listeners aren't familiar uh are connected to uh german philosophy anti-fascism aesthetics i could go on but you get the point and so i spent a lot of time over the last few years thinking about um not only the history of the new deal but also the history of environmentalism and the um intersection between media studies and environmentalism, which is its own like subfield, uh, you know, whether you call it media and environment or uh, media ecology. Um, and so I surprisingly wrote a paper and a, a journal article eventually about media and how media can function not just as this sort of culture covering or this superstructural form, but is actually integral to how we think with and understand cultivating public policy. And then, of course, 
not just reform, but transformation. And so I think that's sort of where the essence of the urge of writing this paper, which we'll get into more, but what I'm arguing is that money is media and things like podcasts or uh, novels or importantly, journalism is also media. And they function analogically to the same in the sense that the political maintenance of society, social reproduction, you need media for it. And you need to take an active politicized approach to the way um, mediation in all its guises is provisioned. And I think that's where MMT comes in. Yeah, I, I think um, it's important to to say when we say that money is uh, is a form of media um, or <laughs> is a superstructure when we're kind of being a little bit cheeky about Marxism, um, the key word uh, that Max said here is is analogical. The structure of analogy is things that cohere but are not the same. And so money as a medium is not the same. It's like other mediums, but money is also extremely unique. Obviously, it's extremely unique. It affords space in in ways that are more directly legally mediated than uh, the way that speech or other forms of, uh, of media might open discursive space or ideological space that can open new horizons of possibility. Um, so Max, I did. I read your paper, loved it, um, <laughs> and I wanted to. And now, and now I'm getting emails from academia.edu suggesting other papers that you've written. I implore, I implore everybody to check it out. So he didn't send you a he he didn't send you a PDF. No, we all have to. I make I make Will fend for himself. <laughs> Daddy retreated, um, <laughs> and and left us fallen. Um, so it strikes me that maybe the best way to kind of start digging into this paper is to talk about how we normally on the left talk about media and the kind of particular what I would say are, you know, kind of leftist inflections of a liberal framing, which is the commons and this idea of a natural Edenic state where there's like, you know, things that have been produced or just things that exist that we have the right to take and that this is sort of a framework that I think um, Max, you tease out in this paper and we um, love to tease out on this podcast in general, but I think it could be good to spell out like what is the liberal view of media and how is that modified by Marxists? What is affirmed? What is, you know, kind of rejected and, and all of that? Yeah, absolutely. And I think you two should both uh, feel free to jump in because while this is my journal article, um, certainly how we're theorizing these questions, uh, we're, we're doing it together. And and so you, you all are going to have um, important insights to this as well. And I look forward to them after you both having read this paper. Um, I think where I'd start is, of course, like the sort of classical liberal mode, you know, whether it's Hobbesian or it's Lockean or you're thinking about Mill or Milton, you know, there's there's many different places where one could go with this. But it imagines what an unmediated commons, right, as prior to whether it's capitalism or modernity or the state form 
or um, whatever sort of form of governance and mediation, you know, whether it's how maybe like the liberal trajectory of money is imagined, right? Where you have barter and then you get money on top of barter to eliminate transaction costs, um, which then Smith recycles and then Marx recycles. Um, no matter which way you, you come at it and look at it, there's this imagination that you start with uh, a sort of Edenic state of nature where everyone's free to impose their will. But of course, the problem with that is that everyone is free to impose their will. And so you have to, you know, you have to deal with the danger of this sort of anarchic commons by corralling people into a social contract and introducing mediation, whether it's monetary or state or then ultimately like written media. Yeah. And so there's this imagination of a sort of constitutive process of lack or fallenness or ultimately violence. Um, a lot of people in media studies will talk about relations of in media as inscription or Marx talks about the relationship between uh, the environment and capitalism as a, as a metabolic rift. And mm -hmm. so there's this visual metaphor of violent, again, penetration into uh, a sort of virginal soil. Yeah, a virgin commons. Basically. A virgin commons. And, yeah. you know, Marx uses virgin soil. Um, there's, there's plenty of, of thinkers who think about nature as, you know, coded as feminine, mother nature. And so bringing that all together... When we're sitting in the here and now, thinking about media, thinking about culture, you know, what Guy Debord would call spectacle. I hate that. <laughs> we think of it as a, a layer of alienation, right? A mediating layer that alienates us, that also is out of our control. And our being some semblance of a polity or a base or uh or a proletariat, you know, however you want to formulate it. Because ultimately, right, mediation is a violent enforcing of somebody's will over a political body to subjugate them uh, and, and turn them into passive inscribed objects as opposed to free subjects. Richard Seymour says that we write and we are being written. And he goes into the whole thing about, you know, how, you know, it's true, there's all these algorithms in the internet, but how, you know, the entire internet is like writing in a different appearance. And there's a, a, a terror state to that. I mean, I think he, I didn't finish the book, but he ends the book talking about escapology. And he's like, you should go to a field and draw. Yeah, an island. You could even call it an island. Um, <laughs> yeah, which yeah, right. I, I enjoy fields and drawing. And it's true that. We are being written, but there's a real terror, yeah. which is the more Marxist inflection, whereas the liberal inflection seems to me more optimistic, right? It's like, no, it's great. Everything is like an Eden where we then we, you know, then we put in government and made a market and that's fine. Right. Yeah. I mean, ultimately, I think from Richard Seymour, what the left needs to take away is that we need more Henry mm -hmm. David Thoreau on the left. <laughs> um, but I was what I was going to say is that like, you could even see this in like the in, in Foucault's trajectory and his like real historical method around media, which is called media archaeology, where there's this sort of sense of this reciprocal violence or this reciprocal inscription mm -hmm. by which media facilitates and structures our disciplined control society. Right. And there, there are multiple ways, you know, 
then we're talking about French philosophy and we can deviate a million times. But the point is... Is, is he French? <laughs> Dasha is a specter that haunts this podcast from, from here on out. She's more natural. <laughs> more natural for me than Liz. <laughs> Dasha is the superstructure that alienated us from Natty. And now, and now there's only Dasha. Like, I, I hate him because he's postmodern, but also he's like, what, but what you could see with this little sketch, right, it, you know, is that, and I, you know, one could go on to German media theory or, you know, there's def- there's a million different routes to get at this. But um, you can see how media is this site of a problematic. Mm-hmm. And, and in, this, in this vision, in the liberal vision, which is one that I think is profoundly tied up in uh, not only the Frankfurt School, but, you know, Marx himself and in the way that philosophy developed throughout modernity. But this liberal vision sees media and ultimately sees it as superstructure, which is to say, sees it as a profound problem. You could call it a hegemony if you're a Gramscian. But this this is a site of violence that even in its best iterations of the liberal problematic is one that we need to reckon with. Of course, there's no outside it some would say, but it, they still see it as intrinsically univocal violence. And so what we're doing right now on this podcast in this vision is like under neoliberalism, we can all create media. And so we can all be these sort of violent market actors, just like ping-ponging our violent media signals around trying to cultivate some discursive world. Um, but ultimately it's not the base. It's not political economy. It's not historical analysis. This should sound familiar to you. And so what I'm trying to do in this um, in this paper, w- saying it in various versions, is, is, to, is to identify that this is actually a profound mistaken view about what mediation and political theory implies. Um, because if you think about money and law and debt, and then ultimately language and speech as media, as functioning analogically as media, which I think one should say mediation functions like that's what analogy is analogy is just mediation um and it's how mediation functions to interlock things in matrices of agency and matrices of um power and then ultimately facilitate caretaking or or creation which is what we're doing with our agency on this podcast right now so that's a very long-winded way of saying that to unwind this means to re-problematize what it means for politics that media functions like money in that it engenders and provisions and cultivates logics and attitudes and not just ideas, but actual material activity. So, I mean, the, the paper is is forward-looking towards the Green New Deal, but you talk a lot about the legacy of the original New Deal. Um, and I think it would be interesting to flesh out how this really distinctly modern, uh, and, and I say modern here, not in the modern monetary theory sense, uh, <laughs> because I know that we have a lot of MMT listeners, um, which, you know, that sense would be 4,000 years ago or something like that. Um, when we say modern, we mean like Western modernity. Uh, which the kind of modern Western metaphysics, which I think we are analogically in like a bunch of different ways, are critiquing of individuated univocal beings uh, in nature and being as 
individuated and univocal. That is like basically like a Rubik's cube that gets arranged into all of these different combinations. And originally, like we should note that like the first person who has this this kind of modern metaphysics is Saint Francis. I love him. He's great. <laughs> Saint Francis of Assisi was you know, like an anarchist. I don't even know what to call him, honestly. I mean, he healer. He, he, he was a healer. He was a lifestyle coach. Um, oh my god. <laughs> <laughs> uh, no, I mean, you know, Francis of Assisi was anti-private property. But he locates the refusal of private property in individuals exerting their will. Because in modern Western metaphysics, that's where everything starts from, Mm -hmm. is individuated wills. Uh, And so he says we should all give up our private property. Social contract theory and all of the things that come after that say, oh, no, no, we should use our will to form a society and have private property and do all of those things. Um, But I want us to keep kind of circling back to this theme of like noticing how there are underlying metaphysics that are the same here, no matter like which, you know, whether or not you take this in like the liberal social contract direction or the kind of media commons, like unmediated, you know, ideas or nature that that we can all take from. I want to really hone in on this property question because... This seems to be like the locus of not just the way understandings of the law interlock with understandings of money, interlock with understandings of media. And I realize that those are three interesting leaps being made. But when you talk of when someone says the word private property, mm-hmm. what is implied importantly is a state before governance, full stop, right? That is what liberal theories of property always imply they imply i am holding something and i am not bound or mediated by governance by obligation i have free will and i am holding it and it is my property Mm -hmm. which then gets recycled and corralled in the exact same way that individuals are imagined to be corralled into structures of mediation under the social contract theory so then there's the imagination that my ownership over something gets ratified, gets inscribed as a state form when it wasn't before. But if you think about relationships of production, consumption, creation, and if you think about property in a more, dare we say it, analogical way, you can think about the way holding something in the Middle Ages always had theological consequences. That's obvious, right? private individuated property you were still beholden at some level to mediation throughout that process and i think tweaking that and not seeing it as a false story where you have eden and this free luscious non-property use which then falls into a state of a state of the historical state and now we are beholden to this univocal violence undoing that i think is crucially important for understanding undoing the trajectory of barter to money and then ultimately the the imagination of media 
as constitutive primordially rather than a historical false story itself. There's a repression of the public going on, right? I mean, Francis and the Franciscans, they used resources of the public, right? But it was all like, well, not technically though. We're, what is it? Well, how is it? We're using it without using it, without having it or something. Yeah. Yeah. What they end up doing is they, um, (laughs) they make an agreement with, with like the Vatican that the Vatican is going to own all their property and like, you know, kind of lease it out to them so that they'll they'll never actually have to own anything. And, um, and then the Catholic church goes back and forth on this because they're like, actually like being like the steward of all these things that you want to pretend that you're not owning is like really labor intensive and annoying. And so we don't want to do that. Um, and so they were constantly having to like lobby the Catholic church to continue to, be the steward of of their private property because in, in this metaphysical vision we're all just children of God. Matthews of God. <laughs> Ma- Ma- Matthew. No, all of our fine. individuated think tanks form a social contract. <laughs> Will is just is just a think tank in motion. Well, and it's repressing the ways in which which is like what happens with, you know, there's different moves because there's one move which is like you know, none of us are anarchists and certainly we don't, we are not anarchist punchers, right? Those are a lot of anti-fascist comrades, but they can sometimes reproduce this sense of all the same way mediation is all violence. The sense that all governance is violence can reproduce the same repression of the public now. And that might be true in whatever certain conditions we exist under, but and the same way that liberalism, as you talk about with Christine Dissan, that the way money gets designed at like the start of liberalism also does that, where it reifies the private sphere and makes us not notice that the private sphere is publicly arranged for. For listeners, Christine Dissan is a legal historian and legal theorist. Uh, who wrote an absolutely fundamental book for MMT and for our project uh, that traces the forms of monetary governance of uh, the high Middle Ages in England to uh, like the early modern period and the, um, the creation of the Bank of England, which the very abridged version is basically it was a bunch of merchants who lobbied the government to pretend that it had taken on a loan that it was then issuing money against to people. So money was printed on banknotes. And is this kind of reified liberal imagination of like, there's a bank behind the state. But that comes up in, in Max's paper a lot, right? How that conception then connects into when you look at the, the liberal commission on media in the 50s. But anyway, that's... Yeah. Well, I think we should probably, for the sake of time, start moving into that. So what I try and do in this paper is, you know, I'm I'm retelling a history with a, with this sort of alternative MMT heterodox theoretical lens or uh, heterodox political theory lens, which is to say, like, there's a speci- the media policy in the United States, which I think is relevant to how we think about Bernie's loss and the way the, the role the media played. I, I think we, we uh, opened this uh, podcast in the very first episode, r- like reflecting about this spectacle and what the media did to Bernie and how there's nothing we can do and blah, blah, blah. But ultimately... Spectacle. <laughs> ultimately, the media is a governing, like it has been created, right? The way our media is structured 
was a result of a series of political decisions. And like mm-hmm. media historians have documented this. Victor Picard, who is a future guest on Money on the Left, wrote a whole book about this. And he he traces specifically how the people on these commissions, whether you know it's early FCC times or later what's called the Hutchins Commission post-war, which is attempting to sort of cultivate a, and square the, um, the reformers versus the more uh, private or business-friendly media conglomerates and really come up with a media vision for the U.S., um, which ultimately it sort of does. And this is what Picard recounts. But these people, the people on this commission are reading Mill mm-hmm. and Milton. And like there's a direct link between liberal understandings of the state and the state as intervening into what is imagined to be this public sphere, this sort of mm-hmm. neutral commons or mental psychological commons. And this is a like I attempt to show how this all this is also a po- post-war phenomenon that is occurring uh, like in 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 like museum studies and like aesthetic spheres as well. And and how not only aesthetics, but mediation and in general, this idea of in the 50s of a sort of fiscal stimulus, which is imagined to be not the government, and a, a robust, private, efficient, equilibrium-seeking market, uh, whether it's a political economic market or a, uh, a sort of marketplace of ideas, if you will, <laughs> is what is the, perf- like the, the way of thinking about media in general. And that's what solidifies our sort of long 20th century whether it's the fairness doctrine or then the falling away of the fairness doctrine, the whole trajectory about fears of state intervention is all premised upon a prior belief that the state wasn't constitutive of the construction of all forms of mediation throughout its entire existence. And then before that, you know, whether it's the historical state or you can think about other forms of governance, the Catholic church, if you will, whatever whatever other form you're, you're wanting to think of. And so when you reframe that and you realize that the media apparatus that we live under is a very specific result of liberal theories of money, mediation full stop, but also just politics in general, you can see going forward how this, this is demonstrated in everyone's fear of propaganda, mm-hmm. right? But also everyone knows that we have to like say what we think as well. And that there's no objectivity. I think that there's something really interesting here about the kind of post-war period in the 20th century. And like, it, it is very much like a story about separate spheres, the state and the market, um, in prioritizing, you know, this imagination of nature as prior to the state. What the neoliberals do is they they have like a market theory of nature, basically where everything is cast as working through markets fundamentally. And so like, I think it's important to say, um, to like complicate this, that neoliberalism itself as a theory of like everything being markets is like the state should be more like a market. And that's like the healthcare exchanges in, in Obamacare and all of these kinds of like innovative forms of statecraft that are more like markets. Well, and it's also important, too, than the way that's ideologically situated in that post-war moment is, um, and, you know, it's funny, I remember I was taking a, a Spanish class once where I had to read um, Granma, the state paper of Cuba, and uh, I think that was like, 
Oh, yeah, that's strong for you as an American. That's hard for you to accept a stained newspaper. <laughs> and I was like, no, you're right. I'm not used to that idea. And not to say that there's not. But it was situated in this moment of like, oh, like anti-fascism and anti-Soviet are the same thing. And both are like the violence of the state, which not to say that both those states didn't have violence, but the sense that anything that isn't media that's like in that violent nature of the market where like the strong and deserving survive, that anything outside of that, like the deserving message wins out, that anything outside of that will be like the state violently setting the tone for propaganda and control. So that like twin, you know, again, Dan Bessner has written about this twin twinning of the anti-fascist and Soviet moment mm -hmm. is really a key way that that liberal trajectory continues. And what's interesting about that is I feel like that people understand that intuitively when you're talking about violence, right? People mm -hmm. understand that all media is analogical to state media when thinking about its oppression of radical ideas or or the left in general. But this is the again, the the whole problematic with the view with like the the Foucault's sense of like control society or thinking about this this thinking about media in this way. That's because they see all media as violence, full stop. Right? So there's no other side of the balance sheet, if you will. To, th to think about media as a creative form because it, we have a flat eminence where media is layered on top as a violence over our, our state of nature. Can I ask you a question? Always. Well, I was curious, what is, because I'm not as up on some of these like histories of uh, like liberal media, like what, what is the Habermasian view of, of media? In terms of liberalism? Right. So the closest thing we get to an affirmation of media in like the sort of history of uh, media studies sort of, but also inflected through this sort of dialectical materialism is the Habermasian view, which then gets articulated in different ways. And there's the sense, obviously, of the public sphere, which sees media as arising outside of governance in the very first instance, which is obviously not true if you think about MMT and how money cultivates economic activity, right? Because mm -hmm. um, whether, you know, if you're thinking about the invention of the printing press, okay, what production process was the person who invented the print, like the, the Gutenberg press enmeshed in, right? What paid for the materials? How, how did society continue to reproduce the printing press over time. Have you read Doug Henwood though? Did you read his critique <laughs> of Ray? Because he, how he pointed out that Randall Ray doesn't doesn't understand the private economy. I've, uh, I've read Doug Henwood, um, <laughs> and Doug Henwood has read me, and I have to say we agreed we agreed on Twitter to part ways. Um, <laughs> and that's uh, I'm contractually obligated not to say any more about that, um, but. What about the private economy, you MMTers? Well, right. There's like, again, a reification of the public. You look to the history, there is no such thing as an economy without public money, right? That's pretty obvious in, because public money is money full stop. It's debt and obligation full stop. And so the Habermasian view is that there's a little pocket of like a true public sphere that is an unmediated pocket, which is a sort of re-articulation of mm -hmm. Adorno's view about the work of art 
as this sort of pocket of this sort of high bourgeois moment. And so you have people in salons writing letters and things. And this is not mediated by governance. This is freedom. We have a pocket. Oh, we lose it all later. But of course, you unravel that. You see how it's mediated historically by money. And so that's the closest thing we get to. an. uh, It's like a fallen affirmation, right? Um, so what we're doing variously here, on, and again, to come back to that point, is practicing the creative capacity of media as constitutive of a political economic project, of an intellectual project that aims to cultivate a certain sort of subjectivity that will help us produce through the interlocking uh, nodes of agency in the production process. Hopefully, right, this is a rather utopian thought, but hopefully help us produce, uh, it, it might take a while, a world in which people do understand the relationships of production in a way that's compatible with what MMT's crucial insight about money and then what, like, Dassan's constitutional theory of money demonstrate historically. Does that mean, like, from the Constitution? That's from the American Constitution, right? Yeah, we're Americanists. <laughs> Typical MMT. I just want money um, trees in the yeah. United States of America, and that's it. You know, that's what they say. Disgusting. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I think it's also worth saying that this Habermasian view that Max just sketched has a lot in common with, like, discursively, the way that Marxists talk about free time as being like outside of capitalism and yeah, leisure. the goal, right. The goal of socialism ultimately is to maximize leisure, which really is defined uh, in, in their mind as like, you're done with mediation for the day, <laughs> right? Like you're not, um, it's your free time. Like you're, you're in the commons. You're not accountable to anybody. Autonomous. Netflix, yeah. the commons. <laughs> um, yeah. And it, it, completely ignores this point that like MMT gets at with the constitutional theory of money, but that also um, heterodox economics uh, in like the tradition of Fred Lee also gets at with, with its analysis of circular production of, of a differentiated input output structure where everything is indirectly involved in the production of everything else. It means that necessarily all of your leisure is being afforded like space because everything that exists is also in a state of being reproduced and that includes your free time it includes obviously the place that you're living but it includes every other part of your life that's not quote-unquote leisure that coheres with your leisure time well that's where too you get uh, this interesting strains of guilt right where well, since we're being, even though I actually am enjoying looking at social media or whatever at night, since, you know, I am being written by code, this is sort of a violence I'm imposing on myself. And certainly there can be ways in which you can go too far where you like are staring at your screen, like wanting to just claw your eyes out. Mm-hmm. But the sense that you're doing yourself a disfavor to to subject yourself to the travails of of mediation during your free time even oh my yeah which is actually what everybody does so it's like (laughs) it's like a total repression 
it's this imagination that markets invented mediation. The value form. <laughs> Ew, bro. <laughs> right. Yeah. Abolish the value like, form or get the fuck uh, out. I mean, you heard it here first. <laughs> like the majority of le- of the left are uh, Ricardian prudonists. Uh, I bet you're not going to hear that anywhere else. That's a superstructure <laughs> exclusive. Uh, uh-huh. <laughs> yeah, we're reading Marxism from the left always. That's right. We're doing journalism, actually. Is that possible? <laughs> Isn't Marxism the German word for left? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And certainly Marx never got involved in journalism. Oh, no. No, God, no. No, definitely not. <laughs> never. No, that was... No, no. Never lowered himself so far. No. He flirted with idealism in his youth. But right, right. by the time his ideas were, were crystallized in book form, which is an abstract concrete form like the value form that only applies to Marx's books, uh, actually only applies to the first yeah. uh, three chapters of volume one of capital look it's important in his later in his life he found material intercourse <laughs> and it's really important for everyone to find that at some Alpha point Sir is following just the way a gambin follows max everywhere alpha Sir is just following me everywhere bothering me <laughs> get rid of the hegel he's been too hegelian now marx needs to grow up yeah. it's another great point where like altuzer also sees the negative side of the state as like a media act, right? As a speech act without seeing the creative side, right? Mm -hmm. It's just another sense of which it's univocal violence. This is also just the French uh, dilemma, if you will. Um, (laughs) They have a lot of those. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, I mean, what? (laughs) They don't have contradictions. They have dilemmas. (laughs) Dilemma. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. And so, but like when when you go on and move forward from there, I think... You know, another trajectory of the argument and, and what I ultimately conclude with is what like I'm calling a clean air act for media, which is haha, <laughs> I did a pun. Um, but you really um, sell it with that. Yeah, what is you wanna tell us what the fuck that means, Max? It means that I'm saying the left should not shy away from using like not only because like money is a propaganda medium. But also, what is, what are we what are we doing on this podcast? Mm-hmm. We're doing propaganda, right? Maybe you. Um, and so I know. I, yeah, I just sort of sprout. <laughs> you're you're objective in the base. I'm doing um, metabolism. Yeah. Uh, you you're, you're doing metabolism. You're a radish. Wow, Deleuze, is that you? Um, Shut up! You know that he's inside me. <laughs> um, well, no, don't, don't, no, 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 no. <laughs> we're gonna cut that. Moving on from there. Uh, Inside um, my soul. Yeah, 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 exactly. <laughs> you just make everything material. That's the problem, right? Every they're all always going to make things material, even metaphors. Um, and <laughs> so ultimately, what like you know, tongue in cheek, but what this argues for is looking to the New Deal and the the relationship between like media and and the cultivation of aesthetics, the Federal Theater Project, the CCC, you know, all of these things and and why some of these uh, programs were so popular. Ultimately, it comes down to the fact that like the job guarantee that's in the Green New Deal needs to be include journalists, right? And these journalists can't be objective in some narrow sense because objectivity is impossible because that is a Lockean, it's a Lockean construct that is premised on state of nature. And so really like what we're calling for is, is, is a pretty, it's like banal, but also a real theoretical undoing in, in a way. 
is the employment under a job guarantee of journalists, artists, performers, podcasters. Superstructure wants your tax money. (laughs) And I'm not joking about that. To produce media that defends the the theoretical premises of the Green Mm. New Deal, which are what? We can afford a better world. We can afford inclusion, right? We can afford to take care of everyone. And we can afford to transition from fossil fuels to a care economy that is based in renewable energy. Mm -hmm. And a part of the project of doing that, again, and it doesn't mean there aren't checks or it doesn't mean there is an agency. It doesn't mean there is this is centrally administered in some univocal way where it's like the party decides and that's the line, right? There are, there are many different ways to structure this. Like, again, shout out to Pavlina Cherneva again. There, she has a more local-based nonprofit structure for, for a job guarantee. There's already public media. Like, we already have public media. We already have Sesame Street. Um, but Big Bird is a fascist. Sesame Street needs market discipline. Wait, what are you not telling us? Is this something we need to know about? <laughs> Big Bird was on the was in the Epstein plane. <laughs> he was on the Epstein plane. Uh, I'm curious, Max. So, like, what would be? Because I can imagine, like, the first objections people would say would be, "Well, you're being naive about state power. You're being naive about ideology. Uh, how is this going to work? How how are you going to make decisions? How does this?" function right which is all the same skepticism about yeah governance about mmt i mean i guess what we'll say is who are who are making decisions now right that's this is the first question right and so we can see there are you know of course there are journalists making decisions there are editors making decisions there are moguls making decisions uh glenn greenwald is making decisions (laughs) unfortunately (laughs) (laughs) but Like the political economic system in which we're under means that the outline can't exist or that someone can just buy or sue Gawker into the ground. I miss Gawker. Yeah. Well, shout out to Gawker. Superstructure approved. And so people are making decisions already. Like that's the power is making decisions. And again, the state is making decisions in not funding Mm -hmm. journalism. Right. And not employing journalists and not employing writers and not employing artists. That's decision making. And that is an austere cultivation of suffering. Right. And so what one would suggest is that in a Green New Deal, what what would I want? Just me. But again, this is just me. Right. This is up for debate. But as long as we're asking these questions through a, a political and economic structure, and, and a theoretical lens that doesn't see state power, as you suggested, Natty, as some external force, because it's not. It's intrinsic to the production process. And, it, and you know, the ideological structure, as any good Zizekian would, would tell you, <laughs> is baked into your subjectivity. And so the state is already making decisions through you analogically. And the point is to run at that head on. I think that this is... Uh a place to like bring back in like the heterodox economics critique of the like popular understanding of markets, right? Like once you posit an actual economic structure that is not nature as a market with people who are just all kind of exercising their their unmediated free will. No, like our, you know, will is mediated by legal structures that make 
our agency analogically different from each other, right? Like if I own like the means to invest, which is to say if I'm legally empowered, either by private property or by acting in a more direct capacity, acting on behalf of the state, Mm -hmm. if I'm situated there in the structure, my agency has totally different economic effects. I can decide who gets a job. And that's completely different from the agency that we have as people walking in a grocery store or something to, you know, select between things that we didn't actually choose to make in the first place. And this this is something that gets lost in the idea of of markets themselves as being, you know, somehow a legal institutions that laws intervene in. I want to drive home this point more as well cuz what we the current structure that we have mm-hmm. now is what one could call a capitalist structure for investment, right? Where, um, sure, there's the state, like, again, this would be a a relatively reductive way of thinking about it. But in the capitalist understanding, it's like banks are are driving investment, right? And what we have is a media apparatus that is driving, like, whether we want to call it money creation, but no, the creation and cultivation of ideas, right? Fox News is poisoning, is poisoning your grandma's brain. This is a common story, right? This is a common understanding. So what do we do to stop that? Oh, we change the law. That's a, that's a pretty simple under, way to think about it. Because if you're thinking about banks in that way, oh yeah, we need more public money creation through the democratic agency, not through the agency of a banker over here, who can charge interest. Making a deal with Rupert Murdoch. Right. <laughs> exactly. You know, and you can see how it's all connected. And so we need public agency over who gets to decide what gets said. Right? Yeah. We, sh- we should also say for any Marxist uh, listeners who might not be familiar with MMT and the kind of perspective that we come from, banks themselves are chartered legal institutions that create money money creation as MMT describes it, that is designed under an ideology that thinks about money differently, right? But that's, that's not the same claim as saying that banks have like, you know, usurped law or private property has usurped law and usurped the way that we create money and finance things. So when we talk about law, and when we talk about banks, uh, we are critically already talking about the same thing. And, and ultimately, what we're talking about is endogenous media creation, whether it's from banks. Endogenous what? <laughs> whether it's from <laughs> banks or from chartered broadcasters mm-hmm. or from, you know, an, an internet uh, complex of platforms that are all variously legally chartered to function as communicative mediums, there are, of course, individuals in this process, right? But another, you know, guiding thinking in media studies is like form is what communicates. The medium is the message. And we have power because we're already creating these mediums. And so what if for a Green New Deal, whoever's planting the trees, whoever's, you know, doing the public art shows, what if people are also covering them? As journalists, what if people are also, um, you know, creating hats and T-shirts and just cultivating aesthetic, media, journalistic, intellectual spaces through public money, through guaranteed employment that promotes and 
and also crucially introduces individual creativity into the process of propagandizing the the world we want to build. And, you know, people talk about socialist realism or think like critically about the Russian avant-garde in this way too. So there are historical signposts for understanding also in the New Deal with the Federal Theater Project, like I suggested, for understanding how we go forward doing this. But what's crucially important is when you look to that history, where they fall down is in thinking that media is an intervention into a marketplace of ideas or a, or a, psych, a psychological individuation. And this is a big problem. Also, I think sometimes in this Marxist media imaginary, this intervention furthermore is impossible or it's determined. Like, I think they would accuse you of being uh, overly optimistic about state power, right? They would say, well, but in a capitalist state structure, there's these certain, like there's this impossibilist register that's self-fulfilling, right? That brings the New Deal out of itself. How are you going to pay for taking over the state? <laughs> right? Like workers structurally are at a disadvantage. They can't pay for the revolution. Right. So it's like, yeah. And this is why crucially, like, how are you going to pay for taking over the state? You just sign the legislation into law, which is not to say that that shit is easy. Right. right? But like literally, right. And, and that there's not going to be problems and that no, that it's the, the ultimate takeaway is this is all incredibly messy, right? And actually, it's the people who think of media and the state as outside of our decision-making or media apparatus who are being reductive here, right? It's, of course, it's messy. Matthew, you made a mess again. Consuelo's <laughs> not coming for several days. Um, <laughs> That's okay. It's fine. And so, like, in a world in which we have a job guarantee... That's not capitalism, right? And, and you can actually go to Marx to make this point, right? In capitalism, you have surplus labor population. If you have a unionized, federally guaranteed employment structure, there's no surplus labor population. Now, of course, there are many other definitions of capitalism for Marx, but that is just one very crucial way in which like, we could pass a job guarantee and unionize all the jobs immediately and grants and lots of things not just job guarantee right all kinds of yeah, public spending exactly grants and funding and nonprofit integration but i think some people like think oh well that's just like a few small jobs so that won't be sustainable because then they're just getting sent back to the public to the private market which you're reifying so do you know what i mean how some people think that way well right but that is, I mean, importantly, that is the the Bill Mitchell uh, understanding of the job right. guarantee, right? Which is again, we're we're breaking right. with this sort of orthodox MMT structure, which is not to right, but again, only analogically. It's not a it's not a univocal break here. Um, but the Green New Deal imagination of a job guarantee is not as a catch for surplus labor with the reified private market. Importantly, what it is, is taking the reins over the labor market and and crowding out the private sphere. That's right. We're, we're crowding you out. You know, that's the right. whole point, right? That's the fear. You're right to fear that because a job guarantee does crowd you out. But ultimately, also, what is what are we crowding out? We're crowding out people destroying the earth, right? We're just prioritizing. It's not about, like, pushing people off a cliff. It's prioritizing the earth, and our embodied situation as a part of it um, over these fucked up private 
privatized, reified, privatized, and ultimately publicly structured production processes that we all want to change. I do love the idea of capitalists being like really angry that they can't compete with like public money that's being used infinitely. <laughs> oh no. What? You mean this whole time I was enabled to do this? Oh fuck. That's my capitalist voice in case the, you know, the, some of the listeners haven't been listening for a while. So they're not gonna catch Our listeners are, are mostly uh, working class from the base, so they probably haven't even heard a capitalist voice. And they don't understand language either. <laughs> no, they're so, not They're not um, a bunch of grad students, so we, we are going to be communicating this through, like, <laughs> banging on walls and doing some of the things that they're... Uh, their, their brains are just a little different. Well, we, we can leave Jacobin for them. That, that's fine. <laughs> they can rub the magazine in their ha- on their head, in their hair. They could smell it. Matthew. Then they'll get the instinct. Not on the hair. <laughs> Matthew, right. don't smell that. <laughs> <laughs> you, you notice how that immediately shut me up? I'm fine. Uh, <laughs> That is a really good way to short circuit, Max. <laughs> yeah, short circuit is one way to put it. Um, uh, reading triggering from the left. Um, <laughs> I'm 
Yes, I From a flustered 